I've, I've asked too many people, you know, what's the most important gift God has given you? And they say, my wife, my husband, my child, God. And I say to them, no, no, no. The most important gift you have is you. And you either take care of that gift or that's it because you don't get it again. Amen. You are you are stuck with who you are and either you feel stuck or you begin to appreciate so, so, who so, you are. So let's play on what Michael's talking about here. Listeners, I want to talk to you a moment here on what he is saying. Listen to these words. This is profound. This can and will change your life. Take a look wherever you're at. Go to the mirror shortly thereafter you're listening to this and you look in the mirror, friends. Look and see if you like that person. Talk. Just talk. Because that's what we do here, friends. Malcolm Out Loud Talk. Welcome to the show. Well, you know, I find some of the most interesting people out in the world, and specifically the world of social media. It's one of the things I enjoy about the Twitter accounts and the LinkedIn is, you know, you can have a conversation with people from all over the world, and sometimes you'll find some gems, some really interesting people, some valuable people, people that you want to keep with you. And I found one, I think, today. I want to share a gentleman with you, Michael Parisi. And uh, I found some of the uh, um, elements he was putting out on social media. I really enjoyed listening to what he was saying. Then when I looked at his book, I looked at some of the other things. I said, we've got to get this guy on the radio. We've got to talk to him. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Michael Parisi, he was an ordained priest with over 32 years ministry experience. 32 years. That's a long time. He's now a certified spiritual director, a trained life coach, and a certified practitioner of emotional recovery. Now, as a life and spirit coach, Michael's specialty is helping all of us. You know, we all lead busy lives, busy professionals and executives who are overwhelmed and drowning in their responsibilities. And folks, I know like you and like me out there, we all qualify in that department, you know. Well, he helps them focus on their priorities and simplify their lives so they have more balance and joy. And I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to hearing his message today because I, Malcolm, can use a lot of what you are, Michael, and what you stand for. Welcome, brother, to the show. Thank you, Malcolm. I'm so privileged to be talking with you today. Thank you. It's my privilege, sir, to have you here. And uh, I like what I see. I've looked at your blog, No More Overwhelmed blog, your message, your book. We'll tell people all about it. And what I'd like to do today is do this into two parts. So I think I want everybody to know, and all our listeners to know, we're going to do this in two parts. The first part, as I said to Michael in the pre uh, uh, prep for this coming on, that we'll talk about more of the society, cultural, the Christianity part, and some of the more complex things that people have their um, troubles wrapping their arms around, more or less. I'm interested to see if Michael can enlighten me, and many of you out there as well. He has far more experience in these areas than I do, so... The second part, I want to talk about some of the, some of his book, first of all, and some of the spiritual coaching, some of the things he's done. He's got this emotional intelligence protocol, which he uses, which has been very successful for him. I'm anxious to find out more about that, and I'll tell you why. Some of the things he's saying, it really impacts panic, anxiety, loss, grief, sleep, weight, anger, fear, PTSD, friends, OCD. 
And, you know, PTSD is one of the things I cover a lot on our on my show. You know that we cover a lot on our network, period. And so I'm anxious to get into that a little bit as well. One of the things I want to tell you about Michael as well up front that I found fascinating when I looked at his um, life as a priest and where he is now in his life. And his I guess I don't know what you call it, Michael. I call it chapter two almost uh, your new life, I guess is that you're, you come out with your book. I mean, you are gay. You make that, uh, you, you put it all out there and say, this is what I am. This is who I am. This is what I want you to know. And, and I think what you kind of say in some of your uh, conversation is that you're, you're being true to yourself and your soul and who you are. That's a big element today. And I want people to all be comfortable with who they are, whatever that means to you. It doesn't, that's the point is we're not hypocritical here to say who you are, that, you know, you're this or you're that or you're, that's not my role here. And it's, I don't believe it's going to be Michael's role either, but it is about us being true to ourselves. So I want to, I want to start here, brother. Can somebody be gay and still be a priest? Yes. The fact is that there are many priests, ministers, rabbis who are gay. And the question really is, can they be outwardly gay and be a clergy person? And that is a different answer, because in many places they cannot be. They have to be in the closet. Uh, Being gay is, well, let's put it this way, Malcolm. When you wake up in the morning and you are uh, a find yourself attracted to your wife or your female girlfriend, Uh, you don't even think twice about it. You just say, isn't she pretty? I'm really thrilled to be with this person. I'm really getting a little excited about being with this person emotionally, intimately, sexually, and it's just a natural occurrence. Well, the same thing is true of people who are gay. Men and women who are gay have that exact same feeling except for the same sex. And they don't go looking for uh, that feeling. It just is there as much as hunger in the morning is there for you. You simply want to have that cup of coffee because your body says so. Same thing with being gay. So yes, clergy can be gay and are gay. And in some places, in many places, they cannot come out and say, I'm gay because that is implying to the institution that they are somehow doing something immoral. Well, I want to talk about that in one moment, Michael, but let me ask you this. Can you be a priest and be heterosexual as well? Oh, of course. Okay, well then I want to stop a moment and ask you, because I'm confused a little bit, for me anyways, because I thought when you took the oath and you were a priest, and I could have this wrong, so please help me, I thought that you, the idea was that you couldn't have relations, whatever they be, with men or women, and that your marriage was one to God and not other people. Do I have that wrong, or is that correct? For Catholics, you're absolutely correct. The uh, Catholic priest takes a promise of celibacy, which means he doesn't get married and has no relations with anyone, and that's Right, that. the celibacy, right. So you, you, mm-hmm. weren't, you yeah. weren't a Catholic priest then? No, I was a Catholic priest, and I was gay. Being gay doesn't imply that I'm having sex with anybody. It simply means that I'm attracted to men the way heterosexual people are attracted to women. And as a a human being, whether you're gay or straight uh, and ordained, if you are attracted to one gender or another, it doesn't mean you're acting out. 
It simply means those are your uh, That attractions. I accept. That that I accept. So you were a Catholic priest, um, and uh, and you weren't, but you had these feelings, but you weren't necessarily uh, an active gay person at that point, nor an active straight person, right? Sexually. Correct. Yeah, gotcha. Right. Now, so that would be back to the celibacy point of view. So that is correct, and that is the Catholic priest, and we are we all have that clear that that is. You know, I've often wondered, Michael, and again, you correct me on this with the Catholic religion. Now, again, I grew up in as a Protestant, and and I hate this year, this year, that I don't like all of these labels. I, I I think we overdo religion. I think we're Christians, faith. I get it, but I'm just a you know, I think we throw too much religion at people and not enough faith. And I want to talk about that ahead. But before we go there, you know, when we talk about you know, uh, uh, faith. And we talk about being a Catholic. You know, again, I grew up as a Nazarene in the Protestant church. And I remember the first time I went into a Catholic church, Michael, I was like, oh, about 15 years old. I had never been one in my life. So I had no idea. And a lot of the rituals, you know, the, the they make you nervous. There's a lot of, and a lot of religions have those, um, a lot of rituals, a lot of things that go into the preparation. And I think in talking to people, they make a lot of people nervous. I bet you they keep a lot of people from from Christianity. Uh, the fact, and I'm just guessing, I, I, that's what I've seen with people. I'm wondering, as a, as, a, as a priest now, as a Catholic priest specifically, so you're in this lifestyle now for 32 years, okay? When did you mm-hmm, discover yeah. in that period of time, Michael, that you had these feelings? Like I'm wondering, as a 32 year old, 32 year long rather, uh, Catholic priest, when is it? Was it early on? Was it later on? When does life evolve for somebody like that? That you discover that you're having these feelings, and I assume that's when you decided you needed to act on it and change your lifestyle. I assume. Uh, well, no, I've, I've had homosexual feelings ever since I was. In my teens, late teens, early 20s, uh, most gay people uh, discover that around puberty, um, the way straight people discover girls around puberty or boys around puberty if they're women. Uh, It is all hormonal, and it just pops into existence. Uh, Having the feelings is not sinful. It's just having feelings. Um, And I knew that when I got ordained that I was uh, gay, as well as many other of my fellow priests. Uh, now, did anybody else know it at that point or, or not, or just yourself? Oh, uh, well, just myself and my close friends okay. in the uh, in seminary and in the priesthood. Um, uh, and then as time went on, I slowly revealed my uh, understanding of myself to my family, uh, my, brothers and my brother and sister, and, and also to, to uh, other close friends. Ironically, I've never, I never told my parents uh, they were in a different generation, and by the time I was ready to tell them, they were quite old and, and ill, so I wasn't about to disturb their peace of mind at that point. But the, being gay is just like being straight. And being straight, there are lots and lots and lots of people who are heterosexual celibates. They are sometimes ordained, sometimes they join religious orders and are monks or nuns, And sometimes they are just those people who are bachelors and women who never get married and who are perfectly happy being in their particular state of uh, existence. So there's a whole huge variety and spectrum when when it comes to sexual attraction and sexual acting out. 
Uh, and I might even add, there are an awful lot of married people who are actually celibate because for one reason or another, their partner no longer wants to have sexual relations or is unable to for some reason, such as illness uh, or other conditions. But those two people are still just as married. The, 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 the holy matrimony they practice is that of deep transformative intimacy, and that's what makes the marriage okay. a real marriage. If you know yeah. you have these feelings as a young man, why take an oath of celibacy then with the church? Well, for the same reason the um, uh, heterosexual men who have, the, who have heterosexual feelings take a promise of celibacy for the church. It is to do uh, God's work 100% of the time, or at least most of the time, to be available to people and to uh, be able to be part of the Catholic priesthood, which requires, it's a man-made law, but it's a requirement. Michael, I don't understand that. I want to talk about it. You just hit the nail on the head to me, a man-made law, and aren't many of them that way exactly. And that's one of the things I want to talk to you about today. Why I don't understand. I mean, to me, I have always felt that this particular religion, in this case, we're talking about the Catholic religion, and I'm not here again to be ultimately critical of any particular uh, society, organization, or people, or whatever else, but I am wondering why they put, we, men and women have human feelings. You just said a moment ago, and I know you get this because you talk about feelings all the time. You talk about your soul. You're very much in touch with all of this. I know you are as a man mm -hmm. and you get it. I know you get it. Yeah. So everybody has feelings. Everybody has these things. It's whether you act out on them or you don't in whatever capacity that is. But why does, you know, like I grew up where the minister had a wife and he had children. And it seemed to be a very normal function that as human beings, we procreate, we have children, we have life, we have, I mean, there's, this is what the way God intended this to be, I am certain. Why is it this particular religion insists on uh, putting men, men through this, um, what well, I think it's, I, I just don't agree with it. I think it's immoral what's happened and what they put good people through just to serve the Catholic religion. And I don't want to overstep my bounds here. And I'm not trying to make no. this all about that, but can you, is there a short answer to that, Michael? Well, it's probably a longer answer, but I'll give the sh shortest Thank answer you. as possible, because I do not subscribe to the necessity of clerical celibacy. Even the Church admits that it was a law that went into effect in the 12th century, essentially to keep priests' children from inheriting Church property. Wow. That was at the core of it. And, you know, after 10 centuries, 12 centuries of the Church's existence, there were some priests who were quite powerful and quite wealthy, and they, they were beginning to uh, pass on their, um, uh, their wealth to the families, their own families. Uh, now, let's not forget that in Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, married men still can become priests, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, and so forth. Right. Uh, only bishops must be celibate. Um, the Catholic uh, imposition of celibacy had to do with that. They also spiritualized it into saying, well, it makes priests more available to their people and service to God. Well, yes, that's true, too. But in uh, practical terms, uh, a man can only work so many hours a day in any way. So, uh, in other does, words, we all have to have a life, here. and we all have feelings, and right? I mean, yeah, 
Oh, yeah. yeah. And some people have feelings that are stronger than others. Right. Let's face it. As I said, some people are able to be totally celibate. For instance, the Shakers, those who belong to the Shaker community, uh, which were related to the Quakers, uh, were, had to be celibate, and both men and women. And they, they're dying out because they have no children, and that's part, part of the problem. Uh, in their particular case, to be a member of the church, you had to be celibate. Now, in the case of Christianity, uh, the, the, the development of celibacy has been rather convoluted and complicated for those first uh, uh, 12 centuries of the church, when there was only one Christianity, and it was Catholicism. And it was only after that that the, the Eastern Orthodox broke away from uh, Catholicism, so that there was a distinction between East and West. Uh, Protestantism came in 500 years later, and uh, or 400 years later, and that's when Luther and Calvin said, "The hell with celibacy. Let's let people get married." So well, let's, oh, it, it and let really me, let me translate yeah. that for everybody. Uh, that doesn't really get what you're that point you're saying here. Let, let, what they're saying is, let's just people, let's just let people be human. I mean, come yeah. on, Michael. I mean, this is what I don't understand about this. It's like, so we take somebody, really, some good people. There's some really good people in the church like this. I've got many friends in that. And then we say, okay, you can't have a, a relationship. You can't be married or what have you or have any, you're, and you can't have sex because we man-made this law and we want you to be married to, and like, but then I say to myself, Michael, when I hear all this, I say, but how can that be? Would God really want somebody to live a life like that for 30, 40, 50 years? Would he want that from people to say, okay, you're married to me. And yeah, he gave them all sexual organs. He gave them a body. He gave them feelings and emotions. He gave them DNA. He gave them a soul. He gave them a brain. They have all of these functions, yet we don't want you to use part of them. I mean, where's the common sense in this? On the surface, it seems there's absolutely no common sense. In the case of those who later on struggle with their sexuality Mm -hmm. and wish, wish to get married and change their status, they have to leave the priesthood. Right. There's no common sense in that no, to me. No, no. Um, and in the early days, let's not forget when celibacy was instituted, people didn't live that long. You were lucky if you lived about beyond the age of 40. So you right. might have gotten ordained in the mid-20s, yet it cut 20 years of celibacy and you died. Right. Nowadays, yeah, 50 years, 60 years down the line, you're just kind of wondering what's what's going on. Michael, will they Most, ever change the rules to that program, in your opinion? Will the rules ever change in the Catholic Church to allow priests to marry, do you think? Well, there's a lot of great talent in the world, and that's why we have that right up top of America Out Loud, Let the Silent Voices Be Heard. And we're actually doing that back at America Out Loud Talk Radio. You'll find a whole great lineup of shows there. Check us out, AmericaOutloud.com. We podcast all the shows there. You'll, You'll find this show right there and many others. Or you'll find us also streaming now. We are on our own talk radio network. You'll find us on places like TuneIn, 
AHA Radio, Radio God FM, iTunes Radio, and a whole lot more. Well, listen, I want to talk to you about being organized in your life. I know it's important for all of us. I want to introduce you to Closets by Design. You know, this is just a great company. It's a national firm. They're on the West Coast, but you'll find them, a lot of their retail centers throughout the United States. Whether it's a closet, garage, home office, laundry, pantries, just about everything these folks have. Check them out closetsbydesign.com. Again, stay tuned. We've got a great show here today. Will the rules ever change in the Catholic Church to allow priests to marry, do you think? I think eventually they will change, not in my lifetime. It will be an expensive change because it means priests will have to make a lot more money than they're making now in order to support a family and whether or not the church is ready to support that and the families that come along with them is another story. Well, and this is and, where, and this is where uh, I think, and to end that part of what we're talking about, I want to say this. This is why, you know, some of the shows over the years that I've had to have on the radio um, went after one of the problems of the Catholic Church that there were some really challenges. I have some friends that were sexually abused in the church. And that's not a conversation I'm going to go heavy into today because we have far too much to talk about than to get saddled down with that. But the point is, you get the point. If you, uh, you know, tied people's hands, good people that ordinarily are good people, and you've tied their hands and they've got all of these, these things we've described and these emotions and these feelings and the soul. And then what happens is you're going to, you have these, uh, uh, these nefarious activities that happen, and uh, then you've got other problems, Michael, which the church has been beset with in the past many years and decades. You agree with that? The Yes, the Christian faith has been just as susceptible to these things as everybody else, but it's become more uh, prevalent. Uh, it appears to be more prevalent because of the number of perpetrations that have taken place, yes. the number of victims yes. per perpetrator. Yes. That's the, the sad thing about it. And also, it has to do less with celibacy in and of itself than with the maturity of, the, of, of men as they are being trained and the kinds of men that uh, the Catholic Church was attracting had been attracting. In other words, people who were emotionally Well, Michael, um, I accept, I accept that. Uh, yeah, I accept that on the surface and what you're saying, but I don't necessarily agree with it. I think if you've got somebody that is a good person that has had no sex in 10, 15 years, and they have these emotions running through their veins, what we call human emotions, human feelings, and they and something happens where they act out on them in the wrong environment, and then it's with a minor or some other situation. Now you have a bigger problem, and I do blame some of that on celibacy, as well as the other things you say. I don't disagree with you, but I do think there's more to the picture. And I think the fact oh, that the definitely. church does that is wrong. You know, I no, I understand that, and I the the jury is still out as to, to the degree to which celibacy, in and of itself, contributes to child sexual uh, abuse. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, there are an awful lot of married. Most sexual abuse in this country takes place by married heterosexual men. Yeah, and it's and wrong on every every uh, level, is. Michael. Every it level. is. I don't care if it's the, the priest doing it, the Boy Scout leader doing it, or or, or yeah. Mister Mr. Mark Jones down in the neighborhood. It is wrong. Oh, you're not kidding. Oh, yeah. And those people and who do that, they're going to have to answer, or they will end up in hell. I'll tell you. 
Well, they're, they're, the church is doing everything in its power. I do know that much to, so. uh, as a zero tolerance, with its zero tolerance policy. But that's a, another huge subject. It is. Um, and uh, I really am on the side of the victims and all of I that. I know. Well, you, you know, know, I am. Well, let me tell folks again. We are talking to Michael Parisi. He's, uh, again, a priest for over 32 years. And I'm having one of the best conversations in this area that I've had. I, I am just so pleased with um, your openness and being willing to discuss these real-life challenges for us and helping us all understand. Before I get to the book and some of the really cool stuff you're doing, which I'm really excited to talk to folks about today, because your work is very inspiring, and what you're doing out there is very inspiring, and and that's really what I want to focus on, is the good stuff. That's what I enjoy doing. But I think these are some, some societal of challenges that I wanted to address up front because you had this very unique background of having been a priest for 32 years, having been someone who knew he was gay and knew that, okay, he wanted something different in his life and really changed his paradigm and was really, I think, decided to be true to himself, true to his soul, and which I think is a lot of what, Michael, you speak about and getting people to do that, which, you know, folks, I have to tell you, no matter what, and we're not, this isn't a conversation about gay and straight here today. This is a conversation about life and living, your true self. And I say that because living an authentic life in who you are is, I think, so important. And it really is God's gift to all of us to be that. And I will say up front, I don't think for a minute that God is going to get somebody up there and say, well, you don't accept into the gates, you're going to hell because you know, you were gay or you were this or that. I assume you don't think that way either, Michael. Oh, no. I mean, we enter into the love and life of God in eternity because of the quality of our own love and because of the evidence of our own faith in that love. Mm -hmm. And that is my short answer. Well, I like that answer, actually. Talk to me a moment in the last few minutes on this part of it before we switch to the other. I want to talk to you about this, uh, the gay marriage. What are your feelings on gay marriage? Well, gay marriage is a two-pronged issue, as it is for straight marriage. There is the legal, um, civil, marital status that this country has upheld for many, many generations, and it is to preserve the rights and responsibilities of people who wish to form lifelong unions uh, legally, and attached to that are all sorts of uh, privileges as well as responsibilities. Then there is matrimony, uh, the, what we in the Catholic Church have always called the sacrament of matrimony, which is an outward sign of God's love. And in that, there is an intimate connection between two people who desire uh, to bond together in union with one another in a spiritual as well as emotional way, uh, and not necessarily physical. Uh, marriages need to be consummated, uh, but there's nothing in church teaching that says that a couple could not remain uh, celibate sexually uh, and still be married perfectly well and still grow in that marriage. Now, I don't, that's not for everybody, obviously, but it, it has happened in the history of the church, in the history of Christianity. Uh, so matrimony is a spiritual union, a spiritual relationship, and I believe that gay people as well as straight people 
should we be have the, the availability of both? If they can't have both, at the very least, the state has an obligation, I believe, to recognize uh, gay unions uh, as valid civil unions. It's a, it's, it's a legal it's contract. Not, That's what we're talking about. It is exactly a right. legal contract, right. which should make all the lawyers very happy, because as soon as you make a legal contract, those contracts sometimes get broken, and the lawyers can come swooping in and make lots of money, even off of gay couples who are getting getting divorced. But that's a cynical answer to some degree, but that happens to be part of it. The legal contract is as cold and basic as that. And gay people should have that privilege and opportunity, okay. just right. like everybody else. Michael, I want to ask you a question that I think is, a, a to me, it's a tough question, probably not for you, uh, but um, but it's, it's, it's this. Why do gay people have a need to want to tell the world that they're gay? Why is it necessary for them? They call it coming out of the closet is the term they use in society. But why is it so important? And you can see when people do that, some are very outspoken about it. They have a need that they want. Like, but if it is accepted, as I think it is, as just it's another choice one makes, uh, whatever it might be in their life. Why is this so necessary? Whereas if you are heterosexual versus homosexual, do you get up in the morning and say, I'm straight today and I want the world to know it. Why is it gay people? A lot of them get up and say, I'm gay today and I want the world to know it. And then it's this whole thing about, okay, you know, I need to tell everybody. What, what, what is the deal with that? Well, it's a very good question. And certainly uh, gay people want to get to the point where they, they're like their heterosexual counterparts and have it taken for granted. The fact is in this country and in many places in the world and where people, even gay people are being actually killed, uh, in parts of Africa, parts of uh, Asia, you cannot be gay legally. And if you are caught with an, a man, for example, you are murdered, you are killed, you are hanged, you are thrown off a building. That's right. Uh, this is why gay people are militant at this point, because it isn't acceptable to everybody yet as a reality that we are born with and not something we choose out of, uh, out of a series of choices in the course of our life. So being gay is something that when we come out of the closet and kind of proclaim it, it is to tell all the people we know, by the way, this is why, if in case you've wondered, this is why I have been who I have been. This is why I haven't gotten married. This is why I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. This is why I am who I am. And being proud about it is one of the first steps. It's kind of like when... Guys, when they reach puberty, they go to the gym and they start building muscles and they show off their muscles to people. And girls, when they reach puberty, get all dolled up and get into their real heavy feminine self to show off being feminine. It's a proclamation of who we are. Um, it's the same thing in, in, in conventions and in, in, in politics. Uh, people are proud of being Republican. They're proud of being Democrats. They go out and tell people that and wear badges. It's the same process. And I think and we have too many labels do. in this world. I really do. We're labeling everything and everyone, and you're this, you're that, I you're do. this. Yeah. I hate it. I, yeah. I don't like it, you know? 
Oh, I hate labels. I hate yeah. them too, and gay people in general hate it too. Yeah. They just want to be accepted for who they are. Well, we just want to blend in with everybody else. Yeah, I mean, come on, let's just get on with it. I mean, there's so much of that going on now today. It's crazy. Um, yeah. What's your answer again to what? What? What would you say to those people, Michael, who say the Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman only? What's the answer to that? Well, certainly the Bible is written in a particular historical context as well as a religious context. There are some things in the Bible that make it sound as if uh, it's between, but you, between a man and a woman. You will not necessarily find anything in the Bible that says that. That's a quote that doesn't come out of the Bible. Wow. Yes, God made them male and female, and so forth and so on. It doesn't say anything about God made them male and female so that males will marry females and females will marry males. That happened to be all about procreation. And in fact, a lot of the scriptural passages that are used against gays uh, living out their lives as gay people are actually mistranslations, misinterpretations of the Bible. The Greek and the Hebrew do not necessarily refer to homosexuality, which has to do with uh, something that was invented really as a word in the 19th century. So the uh, concept of homosexuality, as we know it today, is a fairly new concept. Much of the Bible's information against uh, men sleeping with men and women sleeping with women has to do with uh, temple prostitution in pagan uh, situations, as well as other kinds of things. All right. If you could change something, if you could change one thing about the church, maybe it's two things, I don't know, what would they be? If I could change, well, boy, well, we're talking about a couple of billion people. Uh, I would love to. Uh, I would love everybody in the church to recognize that religion is the external reaction to faith. Very important, but not the essence. The essence of their faith really is in spirituality. Spirituality is the personal, internal reaction to faith, and. That's what they need to be building in their lives. Religion, in and of itself, is uh, is like wearing a, ba- a particular team's baseball cap. It doesn't mean you're a really good pitcher and catcher for the team. It simply means you're on their side. Religion does not bring you anything but uh, tools to deepen faith and spirituality. Well said. Spirituality is where it's at. Yes, yeah, so well said. So if you could change anything, it would to change that misconception, huh? Yes. Yeah, yeah. What's the biggest lesson you took away from your 32 years in the church? The biggest lesson I took away probably is that I can't change the church. Uh, and, I, and I really wanted to change certain aspects of the church. Uh, by church, I mean the institution, as well as the attitudes and misconceptions people had. Uh, I thought I'd be able to do more, and I wasn't able to do more. And that's the biggest lesson. People are going to go their own way, and we have to let go and focus on our own personal journeys and let that journey flower into action which is going to be of service and of love to others.
uninterrupted, taking charge after everything has changed. Well, if you heard the first part of our interview today with Michael Parisi, then you realize you've been speaking and listening to a, a very honest man and somebody who uh, really, I think, has got a grasp of the tools that are needed to be successful in this life. We're going to talk to him again in our next segment here about this uh, terrific book he's got out. It's a pretty new book. It's just come out a couple of months ago here, so it's pretty new. And he talks about emotional intelligence, kind of got a protocol for that, and God knows we can all use a little emotional intelligence in our lives, my friends. It's Malcolm Allout here back with you, and I want to talk about this life interrupted. Michael, in this book, first of all, this book, how long did it take you to write this book? I know writing a book is a very big uh, endeavor. How long did it take you to do this thing? It took about two or three years uh, yeah. to write it. And, and I, I bet you how many, many times many... you thought it was done and it wasn't, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially oh, yeah. people like us who care, you know, I mean, we're critics of ourselves. And so I'm kind of the same way. It's like, ah, I rip it up like, I don't like that. I want something else, you know, and you go back at it again. Right. Isn't that what it is? Yes. And with the, and yeah, and also with the help of good editors who really help you focus on what's really needs to be said, and you begin saying, oh, "Okay, I'll throw all that out and I'll start all over," and and you do, and you and it comes out even better. Right. All right. Uh, before I ask you about the biggest aha moments and the lessons that people get from this book, I, I want to tell you that one of the things I've seen in my journey, in fact, I got something I call that I've seen in my years in the corporate boardroom. And I call it the five human ailments. And I did a, a book not too long ago. I did a video book on it. I have a series of these coming out, actually. Uh, and it's the five human ailments. And I see these things. But, but one of the things I want to talk to you about is I, one of the mistakes I find that people make. And I've I seen this growing up as a young lad. I've seen it with my siblings. I've seen it with others in my life. Is that people have a very big tendency to live in the past. And I see this thing where they seem to shape their whole life constantly around what happened yesterday, or they keep, they keep revisiting all these things in the past. And it always really bothered me as a young man. And I never really got kind of grasped that because I wasn't a past kind of person, but I'm kind of a dude who likes change. I love change in my life. I love to evolve. I love to see what's happening tomorrow. I love, whereas I know a lot of people don't like change. I, I thrive in it, you know, and so I'm one of these people that's all about living for today and tomorrow, specifically today. I mean, because if you can't enjoy the moment, you know, I had this conversation the other day with someone, Michael, I said, wait a minute. I said, you know, life is so complex. I said, and this is the, I just had it maybe two, three days ago. I said, listen, stop a minute. Stop a minute. Get some fresh flowers. Put some flowers in the house. Smell those flowers every day. Understand the path you're taking breathe, take a moment, live in the moment, know who you are, enjoy the surroundings, enjoy the people, enjoy life, enjoy where you're at, be blessed, take a walk outside, look up at that sky, have gratitude, know that it's a miracle that you're sitting, standing, sitting with gravity on this planet, floating through this galactical universal calamity of stars and what have you, and be blessed. And live in that moment. And no matter what else is going on in your life, if you can do that, everything else pales. I so agree. And I will also say you're particularly blessed to have that perspective. 
many of us, including myself, as you said, do not like change. I have a hard time with change, and I have changed my perspective to enjoy change more and more because of that. A book that I read recently uh, is Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. And in it, he speaks about living in this moment as the only moment in existence we have. And once we begin to focus on the present moment, we stop thinking about the past and we are not able to think about the future because we can't control either. Another aspect of living in the past or wishing the past would come back is uh, connected with being a victim. Many of us will have had experiences that we wish we could have reworked or relived, and uh, we can't. We realize we can't, but instead of just moving forward, we continue to feel like we've been victimized by those experiences. That is also a dead end street. Michael, stop there and a moment. The, you got to we got to we got to play on that. We got to play on that point. You just made a cr- key critical point to me. Talk uh-huh. to me a moment, please. On how does one not do what you just said? Now, the fact that something happened. Now, hold on a moment. Something happens in your life, okay? And now you go back in your mind and you keep playing it like an old VCR tape. And you, Mm -hmm. because you want to change the outcomes. It's like, it's like, Michael, it's like going back to the future. You want to keep doing that. It's like, how do I get into that car? How do I scream down the road again and go back to where I was so I can get back there and then come back to the future? So Mm -hmm. how do we, if it's really haunting us, what happened? Now, let's say if it was over a period of five years, okay, and this haunted you to know, how do you now leave that really truly behind? What are the steps and tools somebody can use in their life to truly get over that, to know that you can't replay it, you can't repeat it. God doesn't allow that. It doesn't happen. No, it's, it's not yeah. Groundhog Day, right? <laughs> right. The way in which I've been able to deal with it is asking myself the question, what is the benefit I am getting out of replaying this past event? Because I assure you, anytime we do that, we are getting a benefit. And we have to be brutally honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, what's the benefit? Okay, let's just say I've had a, an automobile accident and I killed someone. Mm-hmm. And I keep replaying it, replaying it, replaying it, and I've, I've already paid my price. I've already done my time, whatever the case is. The benefit frequently I get is punishment, self-hatred. I need to punish myself. I need to hate myself. Why? Because I've done something horrible, and I feel guilty about it. Mm. Well, that's something to be examined. When we are getting a benefit from something that is really negative, it's usually because we're not loving ourselves. And that, I think, is the disease of our country, of our world, really, of humanity. We don't truly love ourselves. And I'm not saying we give ourselves everything we want. And I'm not saying that loving ourselves is a a kind of emotional thing. Loving ourselves is putting ourselves first as the most important creation, the most important gift God has given us. You are so well said. Oh, my. You are hitting so many nerves this afternoon. It isn't funny. I mean, 
Well, I've asked too many people, you know, what's the most important gift God has given you? And they say, my wife, my husband, my child, God. And I say to them, no, no, no. The most important gift you have is you. And you either take care of that gift or that's it because you don't get it again. Amen. You are you're stuck with who you are and either you feel stuck or you begin to appreciate so, so, who so, you are. So let's play on what Michael's talking about here. Listeners, I want to talk to you a moment here on what he is saying. Listen to these words. This is profound. This can and will change your life. Take a look wherever you're at. Go to the mirror shortly thereafter you're listening to this and you look in the mirror, friends. Look and see if you like that person. Is that person who you like for real now? Do you respect yourself? Do you respect yourself? Do you trust yourself? Do you love yourself? Have you, do you have the capabilities of that? I think that is so critical, Michael. So critical. Because if you don't respect or appreciate who you are or what you've done, then you know what? Then you've got a sad existence. I believe you've got a sad existence and you need to change it. Because these people who run around want to be victims. You know, the world is full of victims, Michael. And I'm tired of it. And this country has got so many victims. And around the world, and you're right, a lot of these victims, these are the people we need to be careful of and watch out for. These are the people who do uh, bad things. Because they're victims. How could they love themselves? What's that? Right, they're motivated. They're motivated by their victimhood to then lash out and and in, in anger and an envy toward others. And the only, the point of my book is, the only person who can rescue us from our lives that are difficult, the difficult pieces of our lives, is ourselves. We keep looking for the knight in shining armor to come and rescue us. Forget it. You are that knight in shining armor for yourself, Mm. and this book gives you the tools to begin to work at those elements that are going to rescue you and bring you the kind of fulfillment and life that you really want. We are speaking with Michael Parisi. The website I want to give you now, it's parisicoaching.com, P-A-R-I-S-E, coaching.com. You know, folks, I don't always pronounce my G's. You know, I come from Pluto, but it is an ing on the end. (laughs) So... And the links will all be right at America Out Loud. So if you're listening to this in your car, on radio, wherever you are, you go to America Out Loud, you'll see the show. It'll be live there, and you'll be able to get the links to his blog and his uh, website and his book. I'm going to put the direct link on Amazon there so you can go get it. Life Interrupted. Taking Charge After Everything Has Changed. I like this Taking Charge business. We have a few moments left, and I want to take advantage of it, Michael, and I want to help folks out because we just hit some real big nerves in the last few moments that I think are critical for somebody to live a fulfilling life. There are far too many victims out there and people who seem to enjoy playing victimhoodness. I have a good friend, Michael, who lives their life by their phone and their communications they have more pro- – in fact, they get annoyed with me because I call the people in their life their posse, and they don't like it. I say because their posse is constantly uh, dragging them down. And so I said to this person recently, I said, why do you do this? Your phone and your text is going nonstop. You, you, 
I'm a busy man and you outpace me in every level. I hate technology to the point that when I've had enough of it, I've had enough. I don't want it to run my life. I hate it. It's a tool. I use it as a tool. It doesn't dictate who or what I'm doing or who I am. But this person I know, Michael, their entire life is based on everybody calling them with their problems and pulling them down. And they pull their hair out and they yell. And I hear them every now and then. And I say, and then I say to them, what are you doing? Well, but such and such has got this problem. And that's going to, I said, well, you're the fool for inviting it all into your life. You're, you're allowing these, you're being a victim and you're allowing all these people to play victimness. Why do you do this? Now, sometimes I know I speak out of line. I shouldn't say it. It's not my life. Am I wrong for saying that? No, uh, they're not ready to hear it, though, but you're not wrong for saying it. The fact is that victims, uh, and I have been in this boat as well, people, so it's not like I've been, you know, uh, I, 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 the book will tell you many things about how I've been victimized legitimately and how I have played on that victimhood illegitimately in order for somehow to keep up this sense that the world owes me something. And as soon as I stop victimizing myself and reinforcing that victimizing through social media or through friends who are constantly pulling me down, as soon as I stop doing that, I realize I'm responsible for my own life, ultimately. And I'm responsible for how I'm going to uh, approach life in a loving and whole way. That eliminates being a victim. You can't be a victim and do that at the same time. Now, is, it, is there a perfect moment at which I am no longer feeling victimized by something? I'm not wired that way. So let's just admit, we're going to be feeling victimized every once in a while. And let's begin to recognize when that happens and take some steps to stop it in its tracks so that it doesn't become something more. Can you share a step or two with us that would help us do that? Well, one step that's more very current is social media. Uh, if, if you are uh, getting posts from people who are constantly pressing that victim button for you, either politically, socially, emotionally, whatever it is, unfollow them. You don't have to stop friending them, but unfollow them for the time being and just stop looking at the stuff. The second thing is um, be very careful where you're getting your news uh, information. Uh, I would say that most of the national news today on all the channels is owned by a group of oligarchs, rich people in this country who control everything from toothpaste to news stories. And they are telling you what you want to hear or what you think what you think you want to hear. Instead, go to news sources that are not going to continually victimize one side or the other. Thirdly, stop criticizing and ridiculing people who are in public, in the public eye. Not completely. If they say something or do something that's really stupid, we have an obligation to protest and to say something. But to focus on their appearance their personality, and so forth, is just another way of keeping alive the victimhood that we are experiencing in our own lives. Those are three very practical ways in which we can today stop this cycle, and there are many other ways. Those are great examples and very, very well said. Uh, 
I think the social media is a big problem for a lot, a lot of people who get caught into all of that. And you're so right. Also, as a news guy myself, and, you know, I spent, I don't know that you know this, Michael, but my, real fast, I spent 27 years in corporate boardrooms and only made the move into radio uh, television about five and a half years ago, believe it or not. Uh, but before that, it was, I was on that other side, the business side. And, you know, but I, I, when you talk about the oligarchs and the controlling of the news channels and all of that, you are so spot on. It isn't funny. And they're, they're, they're telling us what they want you to believe and think. And that is spot on. And that's part of the problem of society where happened to, that, that's happening today, friends. It's what's going on. It's what it's really creating a lot of challenges out there for all of us. Let's face it. We're at war with each other. I mean, we don't need enemies abroad. We got them right here. And these wars and these tones are created because people seem not to like opinions anymore, Michael. They seem not to like, um, you know, they don't respect opinions. They don't respect people. It's, you know, hooray for me and the hell with you. And then we get nasty about it. And I don't like that. So like when you said, look for things that are diverse opinions, look for things that are open-minded, look for things that show all sides of the conversation, look for things that don't lead you down the yellow brick road. You know what Michael Parisi is speaking about? I know what he's speaking about. He's speaking about go to America out loud. Right, Michael? <laughs> exactly. So, because that's what we're about. And that's what Malcolm is about on my show on talk. It's about just, you know, informing people and encouraging them to live a fulfilling life, Michael. And it's not to force our opinions and our mindsets on others. My goal in life is to help people live the most fulfilling life they can be. You know, I have a site, Michael. I focus on only the good news. I think this drives people crazy. And the site is called Brink of Greatness. We just went through a complete redesign and a relaunch, which is going to be happening ahead. I haven't told anybody yet till now. But brinkofgreatness.com. And the only thing I celebrate on here is great people, outstanding people who are doing cool things around the globe and people we celebrate. Only good news. There are no politics on here. There are no bad, bad folks on here. This is all the good stuff. Because you know why? I believe there's a lot of good news in the world. I believe there's a lot of great people out there. I believe a lot of these things happen every day, yet nobody knows about it, Michael. Absolutely. There are as many, proportionally, there are as many good things happening in the world as there are stars compared with one of our suns. The sun that we have shining is just one of many, many stars. And yet we're focused constantly on that one sun as if it is the only thing shining in the sky, when in reality there are a myriad of good deeds being done every moment of the day. And and, and, and if we're distracted enough with the bad stuff and with all the stuff that we're being fed, then we are worried, concerned, victimized, And as a result, it's easier for the oligarchs to have power because they can slip things in the way they want, secretly paying for it uh, with their vast funds. And we're not going to notice because we're busy feeling victimized. See, that's it. I mean, what, what we've just done in the last many minutes, folks, is we've gotten down to the root cause of several things here. You know, this has been like an incredibly invaluable conversation. 
I had a feeling, just a feeling. I met Michael today at the time he came live. It's the same time you did, folks. I, I've never talked to him or met him before, but I had a feeling, and I get a lot of feelings lately, Michael. <laughs> so, um, And I had a good feeling that this was going to be a very, very enlightening conversation. So let me give you the particulars again. Michael Parisi, and it's, uh, it's uh, spelled P-A-R-I-S-E. But pronounce Parisi. It's a Parisi, you know. And it's ParisiCoaching.com, Coach Ing. Uh, and uh, that's the website. All of these links for his blog and his books are going to be on America Out Loud. But on Amazon, that book is, uh, is very easy. It is called Life Interrupted, Taken Charge After Everything Has Changed. And that's a pretty profound title. Some of the things that he talks about is understanding and realizing your spiritual and relational goals, being aware of your values, friends, your relationship with yourself. What did he and I just talk about? Relationship with yourself, relationship with God, having faith, understanding, not being a victim. Don't live in the past. Again, there are a lot of things here. He's a speaker as well. He's got a lot of cool things. Talks about a lot of things we mentioned about anxiety, panic, fear, sleep, weight, anger, fear, PTSD, OCD. All the ailments that are holding uh, stars, they're holding uh, society back. They're holding a lot of you listeners out there back right now that have such great success and power in your grasp, yet you hold yourself back. And I think Michael Parisi would tell you, stop doing that. I know Malcolm Out Loud will tell you that. Stop doing that, will you? Get yourself together. Knock it off. Walk outside and shake yourself off. Stop it. Look up at that sky. Praise God and praise whoever you're believing is your God today and just be blessed. It's all good, friends, and build on that blessing. Build on the good. There's a lot of it out there. 